0: Uh, My name is Ed, and I'm one of the pastors here at Gateway. We are beginning a new series of conversations today, a Lenten series that we're calling The Autobiography of God. Listen, a biography is when someone writes a story about your life. An autobiography is when you write your own story, and we believe with powerful conviction that God has written his own story in Jesus. So for the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at Jesus' stories as we think about God. Now, knowing about God is crucially important for the living of our lives. So boys and girls, I'm really glad that you're in with us today. I want you to imagine that a new kid comes into your classroom. This has happened to most of you. You know how difficult that is. They don't know the teacher's name, hey, Miss So-and-so. They don't know your names. They don't know the names of anybody in the classroom. If kids in the classroom are laughing, they don't know what they're laughing about. Okay, it's time to go to gym. They don't know where gym is. Time to go to music. They don't know where music is. Think about how hard that is now. Imagine on top of that that they don't even speak English. Now if you're over in the corner laughing, they've got to be thinking, are they laughing at me? You know, that's really, really difficult. That's how we are. We're in the same condition when we don't know anything about God. Because this is God's world, and he governs it. So it's critically important for us to know what God is like. That's what we're going to spend this Lenten season doing, finding out what God is like. And I want to start this morning with two stories that have something in common. And as I tell these stories, I want you to think about if you can figure out what these stories have in common. All right, first assignment, boys and girls, I hope you've got that white marker board out. I need your white marker board out with the marker because I'm going to want you to do something. You can, whatever you're working on, you can go back to it in a minute, but I'm going to want you to do something for me as I talk. What I want you to do is draw a car. And if you can, if you're good enough, draw a car from the 70s, because Pastor Ed is super old. So this is going to be a car that I could have helped someone with. So here's the first story. When I was in college, back in the 1830s, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to college and there was a girl on campus who was very, very pretty. I had not met my wife yet, so I did not have the level of prettiness raised that high. But she was nowhere near as pretty as Diane, but she was very pretty, and I wanted to get her attention somehow and have her notice me somehow. I did find out who she was and have her find out, more importantly, who I was. And it just couldn't happen. I, I, I never, you know, she ignored me. Well, it was a parking area, you know, off to the outskirts of our university and it was drizzling one day and I wanted to go somewhere in my car so I go out this is me going out to the parking lot and I go out to the parking lot and I notice that there is a car stuck at the edge of the parking lot they've got two wheels just spinning they can't go anywhere I'm not going to have anything to do with that so I get in my car and I'm going to drive off and ignore them and I realize it is this girl driving so perfect opportunity I stop and I get out knock on the window Can I help you? It's drizzling. I'm getting wet. I don't care. I can't go anywhere. My car is stuck. Let me help. I put my Superman cape on. I get behind the car, and I start to push mud everywhere all over me. I know this romantic movie. She and I have a laugh together. Don't worry about it. Let's keep trying. Eventually, we get her out. She waves aggressively. Thank you so much. No problem. It's raining. Go. So I get in the car. Just Perfect timing, I don't remember, three or four or five days later, there was a big quad open area at our college, and um, this is me walking on the quad. Now it's a nice day, I'm walking, perfect, I've seen this movie. She's coming the other direction with a friend, nobody else in sight, just the three of us. I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to walk, we're going to get close, very coyly and sweetly. She's going to place her hand on my shoulder, say, aren't you the guy? Yes, it's me. Thank you so much. I don't know how to thank you. You don't need to thank me. Well, I really would like to. Well, if you'd really like to thank me, then how about if you let me take you out to dinner? That way you can thank me, and I can get to know you all. Oh, that would be terrific, wouldn't it? See you Friday. Then I go off. This is how it's supposed to go. I'm walking past her, waiting for the hand. We keep walking, and she's what? Wait. Did not even recognize me. Didn't notice me one iota whatsoever, and now I'm ticked off. I want to run back and grab her by the shoulders. You didn't even thank me. Second story, I was in middle school, I was in Atlanta, I grew up in Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is about this big, and we were visiting, I don't know if this is a group from school or a group from church, I don't remember, we were visiting Atlanta, Atlanta's about this big. We were on a street that was bigger than any three streets in Spartanburg put together. Wow, I'm looking at buildings, we're walking along, and all of a sudden the buddy that I'm walking right beside says, we got to cross the street. Are you an idiot? Look at all the cars. No. we got to cross. We start to cross the street. I have to leap over cars as they're moving. i, I got to stop cars. They're going 60 miles an hour. I have to stop them just to help us survive. I throw him across the street to make sure he doesn't die. We get to the other side of the street. I'm, I can't even ask him what happened. I'm so out of breath. We walk 100 feet, and he says, now we got to cross back to the other side. Are you nuts? No, we, head, we cross back to the other side. We're, we're dodging traffic. We get to the other side. What in the world was that about? He says, points back that way. I look back on the sidewalk, halfway between where we had left the sidewalk and where we'd come back, there was a homeless person. He said, I hate homeless people. They scare me and they give me ick. You know what those two stories have in common? They are the exact opposite of service. Boys and girls, I want you to do something for me. On your whiteboard that you've drawn the car on, show the car to someone. Let's show the car from the 1970s. Now I want you to write the word service. Here it is on the screen. It'll help you know how to spell it. Service. Service is joyfully meeting someone else's need in a way that makes no demand of them. In a way that asks nothing in return without seeking praise or even acknowledgement. This is so important that while you're writing service, boys and girls, we're going to say this together, all of us, joyfully meeting someone else's need in a way that makes no demand of them. Pause. That makes no demand of them. Let's keep going. One, two, three. In a way that asks nothing in return. Wait, what? we got to get this. Third, one, two, three without seeking praise or even acknowledgement. Service. I want to give you a universe-bending truth this morning. Some of you know this already. For some of us, it will be a bit of a surprise. If you miss everything else today, don't miss this. God is a servant. God wants to serve us. We see this incredible truth on display throughout the Bible, don't we? Proverbs 1.11.5, among many other places, talks about how God wants to provide for us. Proverbs 2.8, among many other places, talks about how God protects us. Look at Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8. What it tells us is that God loves his people because he loves them. Not because they do anything, not because they are anything unique, but simply because he loves them. And service is the physical arm of love. Think for a minute, if you would, all of you, boys and girls, think for a minute about Prince Charles. If you don't know who Prince Charles is, here is his picture. He is one of the most famous people in the world, probably one of the wealthiest people in the world. I've got a one question, true, false exam, boys and girls, I want you to write T or F, on your whiteboard, and this time you have to show someone to see whether or not you get it right. So T or F, true or false? Prince Charles will one day be king of England. T or F? What do you think, he'll be a king? Because he's a prince, he'll one day be a king. T or F? Now show your answer to someone next to you. And I hope if you wrote down a T, you got 100%. You got it right. Prince Charles will one day be king of England. Prince Charles has been served, we might even say pampered, his whole life. Now let's imagine together that Prince Charles calls you up, not one of his assistants, Prince Charles calls you up and wants to come pay you a visit. All of you, that would be mildly interesting. Those of you who stayed up all night to watch royal weddings, that would be like, oh my gosh! Prince Charles wants to come visit you. He comes, he doesn't come with his entourage, he shows up. Stays at your house, and the first night he's at your house, you sit down and you're a little speechless. And, uh, well, what do you do? What's it like? Tell me about your life. No, enough about me, he says. Prince Charles, enough without me, he says. Tell me about you. Tell me about the kids. How is it growing up in northern Virginia? You go to bed that night. If you're married, you say to your spouse, "We, Prince Charles talked about us all night. The next morning, very early, there's an odd sound. You wake up, you open the shade on your window, and you realize... Prince Charles is cutting your grass. Now, think about how out of place that would seem and multiply that by infinity. God is a servant. God is a servant and he wants to serve us. The universe bending truth that God is a servant, that he wants to serve us, we see this on display especially in the life of Jesus. Many times throughout his life, Jesus took on the role of a servant, sometimes in a very specific, very public way in an effort to make sure his followers understood this truth. But I want to look at one special occasion this morning. You know, we often think of being an influential person or being a leader as the opposite of service. Influential people are important people. Influential people are the ones that others take care of. They're the ones in position of Privilege. The most popular kid in the class. Well, everybody else tries to serve them. That's what happens to important, influential people. But that's not how God thinks. And Jesus wanted to be sure that we understood that. So I want you to listen to this critically important story. And when we get to the very end where Jesus gets in just teaching mode, I'm going to have you stand out of reverence for God's Word. But just listen to the first of it in your seat. I'd love for you to follow along with this. If you go to mygateway.life, go to the sermon card. The Scripture is there. Or if you have a Bible, please look with me at Mark chapter 10. This is one of Jesus' most important teachings on being influential. It's also one of his most important teachings on service, showing us that God is a servant, and there are profound implications for us. We'll get to that in a minute. Listen to this cool story. Then James and John, these are two of Jesus' best friends and two of his 12 disciples. Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, we don't know exactly what they had in mind there, but it's probably something like this. This was the occasion when people from all over Israel had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the highest, holiest, biggest deal holiday of the year. It's called Passover. And lots of people had come from Galilee, which was up in the north, and they traveled a long way down to Jerusalem because that's where everybody gathered for Passover. Here's Jerusalem up on a hill. Up on this hill is the Mount of Olives, and on the other side of that hill are a couple of villages, Bethany and Bethphage. And most of the Galileans are gathering in this area, and Jesus was in that area. He tells his disciples, you know, go find me a donkey. I'm going to ride that donkey into Jerusalem. And there's this growing sense of expectation because if Jesus comes out of the Mount of Olives down into the valley and up into Jerusalem, he's going to go through the east gate. And that's the gate that the conquering generals from Israel would would enter into after they'd won a war. That's also the gate that the Messiah was supposed to enter into when he finally comes. And the disciples are thinking, is he finally going to do it? Are we declaring war on Rome? This is awesome. Jesus, when we're riding in, look, the news is going to be this. This is we all over Facebook. We like to be at your left and right. We're there with you, buddy. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Yet again, one of those bizarre things that Jesus says. And their response was probably something like, what are you talking about? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, Well, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left, that's not for me to grant. Look at this. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. All right, stand with me now out of reverence for God's Word, if you would. And let's look at this last paragraph where Jesus goes professorial on us. Jesus says this, When the ten, the other disciples... When the ten heard this, they were ticked. They became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them all together. I need to give you some instructions here, men. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. They're high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great Among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. That's Jesus' favorite term for himself. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served. You think it was a big deal when Prince Charles showed up at your house? The Son of Man is here. And he didn't come to be served, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You may be seated. Okay, boys and girls, next assignment. This is called Hebron glass. And when we were in Israel, we bought this in Jericho, a city you may have read about or heard about Jericho. They make Hebron glass there. It's a, it's a ceramic. It's a beautiful glass, isn't it? I want you to do something with your whiteboard now. I want you to draw this glass. But first, I want you to write the words, God decides. So write God decides as a good reminder to yourself. And then above God decides the Hebron glass goblet. God decides. I'm going to put this goblet right here. I know it's hard to see, but I'm going to put it right here so when this slide goes away you can still look at it. Draw this goblet, but write God decides underneath it. Okay, God is a servant. Did you hear what Jesus said? Even the Son of Man And again, that's Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself. Even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, God, full and complete, represented the Son of God, as the book of Hebrews says, quote, the exact representation of his being, Jesus came to earth to serve. And we learn two critically important truths about ourselves from this interaction, and from this mind-universe-altering truth. And both of them grow out of the idea that God is a servant. Truth number one, our job is to enjoy God and to obey Him. It's not our job to do great things for God. He decides what role we will play. He decides where and how our influence will be exercised. Our job is to enjoy Him and to obey Him. Look at verse 39 again. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. God prepares our place of influence. He decides. God decides. When Jesus was asked once, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus did not say which many of us would have expected. you got to do good. And... You've got to do great things for God. You've got to get out there and figure out some great things to do for God. Jesus said, love God with everything you've got. My wife Diane likes to say that we get into trouble when we focus on all that we think God wants from us. We should be thinking about what God wants for us. God wants to serve us. He wants good things in our life and for our life and because of our life. Sometimes when we hear something really good has happened because of someone else's life, we wonder, why, why, why not me? Why is that not happening because of me? Why, why not? Why? We hear someone is a great prayer or someone prayed and this happened. Why, why didn't that happen with me? Why, why, why don't I pray like that? We hear that someone... Was so influential that three other people turned their life over to Christ because of their conversation and their influence. Why am I not? Why why don't I do that? I, why am I not doing great things? God decides who sits where. God decides how our influence will be exercised. That doesn't mean there isn't work for us to do. But but that, our work for God, can't be the focus of our attention. This was a very hard truth for me to accept when I was a young man. Almost as soon as I got serious about my relationship with Christ, I began to want to do great things for him. I wanted my life to be important. I wanted God to use me powerfully. And that often made it hard for me to hear God say, I really love you, Ed. I am so pleased with you. I just want to hang out with you and spend time with you. God is a servant. He wants to serve me and you. My job is to enjoy him and to obey him, and the rest is up to him. Second profound truth for us to walk away with is truth number two. One of the times we are most like God is when we serve others. All right. This one's so important. I'm sorry for this, boys and girls, but do me a big favor. I want you to write this whole phrase down on your whiteboard. So you may have to erase your cup. Show it to somebody really quick. But I want you to write down on your whiteboard, one of the times we are most like God is when we serve others. And I'm going to do one of those things that makes me glad I'm not in the audience. I'm going to ask you to turn adults. While the kids are writing this phrase down, I want you to turn to someone next to you. And I want you, this is hard to say without being condescending, so try it. I want you to turn to someone, and and then the sweetest, best way you can, I want you to say, one of the times you are most like God is when you serve others. Just remind them of that truth. If you're with your spouse and you need to be a little bit preachy, you know, go for it. So one of the times when you are most like God is when you serve others. Turn to someone next to you and tell them that right now. I don't blame you. You're not doing it, but do it. So get this whole phrase, boys and girls, and then show it to whoever you're sitting next to. That's why, that's why often when we serve, it feels really, really good. Most of us have experienced that. You've heard of a runner's high. Well, there's definitely a server's high, right? to joyfully meet someone else's need in a way that makes no demand on them, in a way that asks for nothing in return, that doesn't even seek acknowledgement or praise, it feels good sometimes. But sometimes it just feels like service. Sometimes it's hard, and no one even notices it. Sometimes it's drinking Jesus' cup. And still we do it, because one of the times... We are most like God is when we serve. I want to help us feel a little bit better about James and John in this story before we go any further. Look, America probably invented, and if we didn't invent, we certainly perfected, meritocracy. Big word, which means you get where you are because you earned it. Your skill or your expertise, you got the job because you were the best for the job. Well, Americans, we pride ourselves on this. We practice, we believe in, we've perfected meritocracy. We read a story like James and John and we're thinking, how dare you ask Jesus this just because you're good friends? You know, what's up with that? Let's throw them a little bone and recognize, number one, this was not unusual. Culturally, their world was not a meritocracy. People got promoted, people got positions based solely on connections, family neighborliness, kinship, even loyalty. That's how all of these decisions were made. You know what, let's throw them a further bone and let's acknowledge this has happened to you before, that even in our meritocracy, sometimes it doesn't work so well. You know, sometimes even in a meritocracy, those decisions are made with a lot of subjectivity, right? Even though we try to take that out of it, you can't take that out of it. This is not a horrible way of doing business, and this is the way that they do business. So James and John were asking Jesus a very, very typical question, and again, they have in mind, they're up on the Mount of Olives. They can see how this thing is going to play out. They're saying to Jesus, Jesus, we are with you, man, and we've been with you from the beginning. How about when you ride in, I sit at your right, he sits at your left, let's go! And the other ten, the other ten disciples were indignant. Were they indignant because I can't believe James and John got this so wrong? Of course they know that it's about service. What do you got to know? They're indignant because why didn't we think of that? This puts us like in seat number three or four or six. Notice how Jesus responded. He turned it into a teaching moment, of course, and he lets them know The degree and kind of your influence, that's decided by God. But you, you need to be a servant. That's what I've shown you through my whole life. That's what God is like. And you are most like God when you serve others. This is how I've designed you, and that's what I've called you to. I created you for this. Let's get specific. Do you know why we recruit volunteers at Gateway? We recruit people to help with our children. We recruit people to help with greeting. We recruit people with setting up and tearing down this room. Do you know why? Let's be honest. Number one, because we need help to make Gateway happen. More importantly, number two, because we know that you and I are most like God when we serve. We need to serve. It's how we were designed. It's how we operate at our best. Let me get personal for a minute, if I may. If your participation in church, any church, gateway or anywhere, if your participation in church amounts to you coming every two out of five Sundays, you are not getting from God all that he wants to give. If you have children, you are not modeling for your children how to be most like God. You know, right after this exchange with James and John, Jesus actually enters into Jerusalem. He enters in. The entourage goes down from the Mount of Olives, and then it climbs up Mount Zion, and it gets to the East Gate, and the East Gate is right below, big gate right below where the temple was. And they enter in through the East Gate. Spontaneously, while this is happening, the folks from Galilee are really psyched about this. Does this mean he's announcing everything, and we're going to declare war on Rome? Cut those palm branches. They cut palm branches. They start waving them exactly the way the Scriptures had decided would happen. This was all somewhat coincidental. There are no coincidences with God. And they begin to sing out from Psalm 118 as they make their way down into the valley and then up toward the east gate, and they enter into Jerusalem. And don't you know that James and John were hidden somewhere back in the crowd, and they're saying, I knew it. I wanted to be in that picture. I deserve it. I think I can drink from that cup, Jesus. And within a week, they would recognize the real cup of Jesus. This morning, I hope that this conversation has reminded us, or maybe for some of us, it's been a profound new moment of the truth that God is a servant. I also hope it has encouraged us to ask. What is our service meter at? Some words about that. I don't want any of us hearing this conversation this morning for someone else. I don't want you thinking, I sure hope Phil's hearing about this. Because he never serves anybody. He doesn't volunteer for anything. Stinking Phil. The question is, are you and am I? Joyfully. Joyfully offering your time, talent, and treasure to others? Or do you avoid service when you can help it? You just want to show up. How demanding are you? How do you react when no one thanks you? How do other people feel about your service? How do you react when you don't get the servers high, when service feels like, Service. God, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, is a servant. That's mind-blowing, but true. And for us, that means we will be servants if we want to be like Him. Is there some act of service you are being prompted toward? A neighbor? A co-worker? Here at Gateway. You know... That those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. They're high officials. they, They exercise authority over them. This is a position of privilege. It's a position of power. They're pampered. Not so with you. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Lord God, it's hard to know what to make of the idea that it's a part of your action, a part of your character, that you're a servant. If we try to do the math on that, that doesn't even make sense. Thank you, and we're humbled. And we praise you. And we're so thankful for Jesus and his service to us and for us and of us. And I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us to these kinds of hearts, this kind of life, to acts of service. This morning, Lord, afresh and anew, we want you to hear us. We offer time, our talent, and our treasure to you, to be used by you for your purposes, to serve you. And uh, Lord, we know that almost always that's going to look like serving others. And it's going to look like helping broken cars for no personal gain, no strategy. It's going to look like walking past the needy person and extending care, not avoiding. It's gonna look like stepping in. I wanna pray, Lord, for each of us for this coming week. I pray literally for days, for moments when you will remind us this is the opportunity to serve. It's not gonna be convenient, <laughs> but it is, it's the most important thing. Whatever else is, unim- it's not important. Help us to step in. Finally, Lord, we commit ourselves this morning to loving you and obeying you and enjoying you. And if there's anyone here this morning, Jesus, that doesn't know you, that doesn't have a connection with you, I pray that you have and will speak in a way that they can understand that you'll capture their heart. That we'll be all in with you. We lift that up to you.